today is not a normal day. Today, we have a guest on our show who has done wonders in the game of football for South Africa. Moved from Cape Town Spurs, Colorado Rapids, FC Zurich, Charlton, Kaiser Chiefs, Bloemfontein Celtic, a true legend in the game. Played over 70 times for the Bafana national team, 28 goals. We are lucky to have with us Mr. Sean Bartlett. So, Sean, um, before we get started, the first thing we wanted to do is get fans involved with, um, mm. once we let fans know, Charlton fans know that we're going to be interviewing today, we had quite a, a lot of traffic wanting to ask you a quick, few questions. So the first guy that's got in contact us, his name is Neil, who, he lives in Southeast London, and he's asked, in your opinion, is the goal against Leicester the best goal you've ever scored? Yes, it is. Um, obviously, I've had quite a few highlights in my uh, professional career, but as an, I think, individual accolade, I think it's definitely the best. Um, and actually, obviously, I think a few years after that, I think Van Persie did something similar. But uh, I think the slight difference between Van Persie and myself is not many people know that, uh, that it's actually scored with my so-called weaker foot, the left foot. Um, I'm predominantly right. Um, so... When that particular goal or actually that situation came about, um, most coaches and players will tell you, you take the first thought that comes in your mind. And for me, it was strike the ball. I think a lot of people expected me to take a, a, a first touch and then bring it down, including my manager, Alan Kirby, after the game, who told me he expected me to bring it down and then, you know, take on the defender. But I just thought it's one of those occasions where you know, nine out of 10 times you'll hit somebody in the stands me, uh, fortunately, it came off and it, it found the back of the net and even surprised the goalkeeper if you saw it again. If you see it again, you'll see goalkeeper was totally, you know, surprised by me taking that shot. Just because we're a football show, we've got the clip. I, I, I love mm. what, I, I think I've watched it 10 times already <laughs> this morning. Um, let us relive this momentous moment and what a strike. wonderful mm. scale. What a great pass as well. Splits the Leicester defence. Oh, what a wonderful goal. Bartlett scores it. 2-0. Magical match winner. Just talk us through it, Ben. I, I know you've already started, but yeah. had I ever scored a goal like that, um, God can take me. <laughs> Absolutely, I don't yeah, need anymore. I think part, part of the celebration, you can see, obviously, a little bit, a certain element of surprise that I pulled it off. Uh, and I think, again, it, it's something that, you know, when you, when you practice it in training and it comes up in a match, um, I think that's just the, the reward that you're looking for. Um, and during that week, uh, the assistant manager, Keith Peacock, he, he did a lot of individual training with us, uh, with the strikers, with the defenders, different, obviously, positions. And with the strikers that particular week, it was space for yourself, peeling away from your defender, and then obviously the final product, which is finding the back of the net. Um, and I think Keith Peacock was also very, very proud of that moment, the fact that it's something that we trained during the week. And then in the match itself, uh, like I said, you could even see Simon Royce, the goalkeeper, totally surprised that I actually took it first time. And yeah, um, it gives me goosebumps even now, because I think this year, 1st of April, it will be 20 years since that goal has been scored, which is a, yeah, a lifetime ago for me. 
<laughs> and you know, I'm just gonna, uh, I'm just for the supporters that um, that are viewing mm -hmm. the clip. When you spoke about Van Persie's goal against with Rooney, Old Trafford, yeah. beautiful manicured pitch. I'm looking at the belly <laughs> there at the moment. Yeah, it looked like yeah. the middle of winter, uh, muddy pitch, uneven surface, yeah. and your footing was sure, and the strike was superb. Well done, Sean Bottle. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Uh, it's one of those things again. The technique has to be, you know, hundred percent on, in order for you to pull it off. And fortunately for me, it, it came. Uh, I think he's a manager at the moment, uh, Gary Rowett, the defender that I peeled away from. Um, I think him and Simon Royce did not expect what was coming after that. We got one more fan question, and this mm. guy's name is Matthias. Matthias asks, obviously you're well known for the goal against Leicester, but were there any other moments that you can recall at Charlton that you really enjoyed while you were playing at this momentous club? Oh, I know for a fact it's not going to go down very well with you, but <laughs> uh, I think the winning goal in front of the cop uh, against Liverpool, Charlton haven't won there, I think, for more than 50 years, which I do know at the time. Um, and then I uh, got told after the game, but as a Man United supporter scoring at Anfield um, and, and the winning goal for that matter, I think... Uh, even though a lot of people knew that I was, I was decent in the air, it was still one of those goals where, you know, I jumping somebody like Sammy Hippier and getting a goal um, was a proud moment for me as well as a Charlton player. Scoring against Liverpool, uh, never an easy thing. Um, never an easy thing for me to see as a South African. I'm not going to lie to you, Sean. I celebrated with you because as a South African... What, what else could I have done? So I was happy for you. Yeah. Wow, that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And Thanks, a, I appreciate that. And a, at the cop in, which is so significant, yeah. the cop in at Liverpool for South mm -hmm. Africans, as exactly. people know, the Battle of the Anglo yeah. War, that's where this yeah. famous stadium has got mm -hmm. a title and you score a yeah. winning goal there. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's strange because obviously there's no irony in that for South African to do it at Anfield in front of the cop. So, yeah, it was, it was a great day for me as well. So Now, Sean, looking at your playing career, you've played in many different countries, Cape Town, mm. America, Switzerland, England, and then back to South Africa. Let's yeah. talk about your career. Where did this all start that has taken you on this huge journey? Well, I think you, you would know as well. We, we're fortunate enough in South Africa in terms of uh, growing up playing different sports because everything is it's seasonal. You know, in the summer it's it's cricket or baseball, and winter it's rugby or soccer, and and then I'll occasionally also play tennis. So I was a pretty decent sportsman all around. Um, actually, at one stage I had to choose between cricket and soccer. So when the soccer opportunity came around uh, to go for a trial uh, at Cape Town Spurs after playing my whole junior career in the amateur level and did fairly well. Uh, um, I never, I'll be honest, I never thought that, that I'll make a career out of, out of playing soccer. Um, that that's definitely wasn't the plan. Uh, but when the opportunity came from Catan Spurs to come for a trial and see if I can make it, um, I thought this is something that I can do. And I'm, I'm quite persistent in once I take on something, I'll, I want to be successful at, at doing it. Um, sometimes to my own detriment um, because... I, I give 100% whether it's in training or in a game. 
uh, not all managers want that. So, so for me, it's always, you know, I might not score the winning goal, but I always want to give my best for the team. And at Charlton, I think that was really appreciated by the fans, by the managers, even the players. Because if you look at my career, that the amount of games I played maybe didn't score as many goals, but I contributed a lot uh, to the club's success and to certain results. So I think Bob Cape Town, obviously, making the national team was a platform, uh, winning the African Cup of Nations in 96, I think it just, you know, for 90% of the squad at a time, it just uh, accelerated their careers internationally. Myself, Mark Fish, uh, Dr. Tomalo, all these guys, uh, David Niati, suddenly uh, got contracts abroad. And I think the national team was a good platform for me as well. And, and that's where I moved to America. Now you're moving to America. Um, I know you stay at Colorado, uh, Colorado Rapids, not for uh, a long time, but you, you moved yeah. there to play alongside one of the greats that came from there, Roy Wigley, who was an American international, but has South African yeah. roots as well. Yeah. Yeah, strangely enough, I actually told my older son the other day because uh, obviously post-football now, I'm, I'm more into a little bit of golf. It's also a stress reliever for me uh, as a coach. You always thought uh, this is a game for old people and whatever, but you know, I think it coincided also with Tiger Woods bursting onto the scene in 96, 97. So it was a great time to also start something new for me. And I love the game at this moment in time. And even my boys, they all play the game. So um, I think Roy was one of those guys, besides introducing me to golf, also showed me how to be a true professional. Um, having played in England also for Coventry, you know exactly how to, to, to play at the highest level, how to conduct yourself and what you have to do in order to, to maintain a career for a long time. So you gave me a lot of insight as to should I get eventually to the UK, what I need to do in order to be successful. So you're in Colorado for a bit. I know you mm. then come back to South Africa to play at Cape Town Spurs on loan. Uh, yeah. I remember because I was at Manning Rangers at the time and you had just come back You'll have this formidable okay. team. You guys yeah. had David Modise in the team as well, which was just a magician yeah. of a player. Um, yeah. What? Why did you come back on loan to Cape Town Spurs? Uh, the MLS, uh, when it started in '96, the league only goes from March till October. So, which means I almost had like six months uh, time off uh, from October to March. There was nothing to do and. With my sports lawyer at the time, we engaged and said, listen, I might as well play. If I'm going to go back to South Africa, I don't want to be on a holiday. I might as well play and keep myself busy. So the first loan spell was at Amazulu. The second one was at Cape Town Spurs. Um, and I did fairly well in, in that short period because it was also before the, uh, our first World Cup we qualified for in 98 for France. So it actually paid off because obviously... Uh, I made the World Cup squad and scored a couple of goals in the World Cup itself. But I think that Cape Town style for me, obviously, it just it kept me busy. So for almost two and a half, three years, I didn't have a break because I would go from MLS to Cape to, to South Africa, MLS back to South Africa, and then it was straight into the World Cup as well. So it was it was daunting and, and tiring, but uh, I think the just reward was obviously playing the World Cup in '98 and then securing a contract in Switzerland. Now, just for our viewers that are listening here, Sean, during the time when you broke into the national team, the national team mm. was a very Joburg-based player team. 
which had a lot of players yeah. coming from the north, which I know people don't like to admit, but that's what was yeah. happening. Uh, mm. And yet Cape Town has such a pedigree of high quality players. And you can go back into the past to the Reggie Junkies. Yeah. You can go back mm. to Benny himself, yourself, mm. Andre Orenser. And this Cape Town group started to break through and really make an impact in the national team. Mm. Yeah. What was it like joining up with this group of national stars coming from Cape Town, going to Johannesburg to be part of that team? It was definitely an eye-opener. Um, <laughs> my wife sometimes reminds me of uh, when we first went to national team and, and the players and wives would go for a meal and things like that. And, you know, coming from Cape Town, I think, I, I think I, we just bought, I got married, we just bought our first house for like 200,000 rand or something. And these guys in Joburg were talking about, you know, buying a property for 2 million. I just bought my wife an A4 vertebral for 500,000. And my wife and I, I'm like, we're not in this class. We're not there yet. We're far from spending that type of money. But that was the reality in Cape Town. You know, we, we didn't earn a lot of money compared to the Joburg teams. Uh, and like you rightfully said, the national team was mostly, you know, selected from Joburg-based teams. But there's one thing, and I think nobody can deny it. The one thing that comes from Cape Town, even after myself, after Mark Williams, after Benny, even now, it's strikers and goalkeepers. They cannot deny that. The, if you look at uh, over the last 20 years, the top strikers that have scored goals for the national team, gone abroad, done well, has been, you know, uh, coming from Cape Town. And the goalkeepers included, uh, Andre, Monique, Joseph, all these guys coming from Cape Town. Um, I think that for me, obviously open the door for the next generation as far as the national team were concerned. Now, I'm just going to go back a bit because we spoke about all the countries you played football in. Looking at mm. these countries that you've actually played in, what is the difference in regards to the, the countries you played in? Which country did you enjoy playing in the most? Where did you feel most settled and most happy with your family? I think the most settled and comfortable as far as the game and even away from the game are concerned, it's got to be the UK. You know, the game is played at the highest level. You're competing against the best players in the world. And it's not that difficult to adapt to. Um, same language, uh, very similar cultures as far as South Africa is concerned. Um, and then, then again, uh, my family was settled. Um, two, two of my boys were, were born in the UK itself. And, you know, after six and a half years, we decided to come back. But even being here now, not permanent. So there's still a ability of me and my boys uh, to see if we can explore and further our careers in the UK again. Now, you, you've played over 120 games for Charlton, scored close to 24 mm. goals. Do you feel that you played your best football at Charlton during your career? Yes, I did. Um, I think I was in the prime of my career as far as the age were concerned as well. Uh, I was, again, uh, I moved there, I think I was probably 27, 28. And I stayed there for, until I was about 33, 34. So it's a period where I produced some of my, my best football, best goals, and best times for that matter as well. Um, you know, like I keep saying, if you, if you want to really test yourself, you've got to play in the Premier League. Because for me, that is where, that is where most of the, the best players in the world are playing, 
even the top stars, everybody wants to go to the Premier League even nowadays because they know yeah, financially it can be lucrative, but ultimately it is about testing yourself against the best players uh, week in, week out. Well, as you know, the Premier League has, has grown substantially since you've last played in it. Um, mm. And now we have other South Africans that are joining, like Percy Sao, who's not really getting a game at Brighton. Yeah. Um, mm. But what advice do you think you could pass on to Percy Tsao at this point in time, having played in England for a, a youngster trying to make it at this level? What advice would you pass on to him? Well, he's got to stick to his, uh, his best attributes. You, you don't want to try and change your game in order to you know, fit in. I think there's a reason Brighton signed him or brought him back uh, because of what he has done and achieved uh, uh, in Belgium. And he's just got to continue doing that. Um, obviously, the discipline off the field goes along with your performances on the field. And I never wanted something away from the game to influence my performances. And I think having the family supporting me at home as well, I think made a big difference. I always say uh, for young players moving out that they need to have that support at home. You know, going to training, being with the players every day, for me, that's the easy part. Going home... And then there's no home-cooked food. There's no people from home that you relate with. Then suddenly you start getting you know, homesick and then you want to go back. And I think that's where a lot of the players nowadays are coming back to South Africa. That is, that is such good advice for any young professional trying to make it. It's not just about the football. It's not just about what happens on the pitch. It's the security behind the scenes that helps you move forward. But coming back to Bafana now, um, 74 caps, 28 goals. Can you tell us a bit more about some of your greatest highlights with Bafana? The things that you really enjoyed and look back at and think, I'm happy to have been part of that. I think the biggest achievement has to be uh, winning the 1996 African Cup of Nations on home soil in South Africa. Uh, I think that for us was a great success at, in a very short space of time being readmitted to international football. In hindsight, I've said it so many times also, I think it came at a price because we achieved so much in little time, we forgot about planning for the future. And I think that's why our national team is struggling at this moment in time. Even though we have all the talent uh, in the world, we, we haven't really planned accordingly in order to get success. And I think for me, the Nations Cup 96 and, and the, on a personal level for Bafana in 2000 winning the top in the African Cup of Nations in Ghana, Nigeria. Those are moments with the national team um, that were always cherished. Qualifying for 98 World Cup, our first World Cup and scoring two goals. Uh, another uh, achievement for our national team. And unfortunately, the biggest disappointment for me was 2002, being the captain of the whole campaign, uh, qualifying for Japan and South Korea, uh, not making unfortunately, due to a torn at least. So that was my commitment uh, as far as the national team were concerned. Not playing in the World Cup. And I think it's only the, the two World Cups that we've actually, you know, really qualified for, uh, 98 and, and 2002. Because 2010, we are hosted. And those three, we haven't really been to another World Cup yet. Very true. Uh, big moments in South African history. You were part mm. of them. But with this illustrious career on your back, with the knowledge you've picked up, Cape Town, America, England, Switzerland, 
you're getting to the end of your career, are you starting, were you starting to plan for management? Because I know now you've gone into management. Mm -hmm. Was it a thought? Was it something you wanted to do or you just fell into? It's something I wanted to do. Um, playing in England, I already started all my coaching badges, you know, the level two, going into A for B. Uh, came back to South Africa and I had to go a few times back and forth for the A license, um, which is obviously very costly. But it was something that I was planning on. I think that's the fortunate thing also in the UK where you do get encouraged and you're sort of motivated. I think it's also easier um, doing the license while you're playing because you can fund it still at the time. Uh, Post-playing, you, you don't have the same salary, so it can be a lot, uh, a lot more as far as spending is concerned. So in the UK, I think um, a lot of us, when you get to a certain stage, they advise you to, if it's something you want to pursue, in the UK is also they are also phenomenal in the in the sense where they can you know partially sort of fund that, those type of uh, initiatives. So I think to your, up to your A4B, they will fund up to forty percent of the cost. So I think that's that's one of the reasons why I, I started doing the coaching while I was still there. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Assistant manager at Golden Arrows. Hmm. Manager at University of Pretoria assistant manager at KZ Chiefs and assistant manager at TS Galaxy under Owen de Gama. Owen de Gama yeah, also appeared on our mm. show. Mm. Or do you harbor ambitions of being the top man? Uh, well, I've, I've had the opportunity already. <laughs> Ironically, um, I was assistant manager at Golden Arrows for three seasons. Uh, and then I completed my A license uh, and three days later, I had my, my first game as the head coach of Golden Arrows. And it was to get the club promoted from the NFD to the Premiership, which is obviously quite difficult. But it, I always I contributed again to the support of my family. Uh, the chairman at the time, that's now the acting CEO of the league, uh, Mata Madlala. Uh, and then also my coaching licenses that I gathered over the years because that gave me the knowledge as to how to actually pursue and get the success that was needed. Um, in a season, as my first head coach, we got promotion back to the Premiership and the team is still in the PSL, in the Premiership. Uh, and we only lost two games that whole season, you know. So for me, it was a great achievement. So it, uh, I was also at Tux University of Pretoria, the, the head coach. So head coach is, is always going to be the main ambition. Uh, but I do also feel I can impart knowledge and experience and value being assistant manager when needed to. So mm -hmm. as it's a big club and the coach at the time, Ernst Middendorp, who I played for in 2006, asked me to come and help. And I did. But um, the same thing now came up with uh, uh, Gama. I worked with him qualifying for the Olympics in 2016. So... There, there's been a relationship before as far as working uh, together on firm and so far it's going well. Looking at the coaching and obviously there's, as you mentioned a bit earlier, there's so many up and downs in a coach's career. So if we look at last season when you were the assistant at Kaiser Chiefs, you were chasing yep. Sundowns for the title. It didn't pan out. Sundowns eventually put yep. Chiefs to the title. Do you look back at things and think, what could you have done different in order to be, have been successful in that title race? Yeah, I think as, as a coach, you always got to do that. Uh, whether it's a game by game or, you know, a season by season, you've got to do, obviously, 
uh, introspection and see what could have been done differently, what which players could have maybe been used in certain situations and which players you shouldn't have used. So we know exactly as to what transpired, how it went wrong. Um, one major, obviously, uh, factor was playing games without fans because uh, last season uh, with Chiefs, I think close to 75%, if we go behind, we would come back and, and win games just through the support. And you would know as well with Kaiser Chiefs. The, the team actually set a record last season of um, five games in a row sold out uh, in different towns. We went to Cape Town, played City, it was sold out. Uh, we went to Mombella, played uh, Supersport, it was sold out. We went to PE to play Chippo, it was sold out. Um, and then obviously coming and you play at FNB, the Derby with 90,000 people uh, sold out again. And I think it was one of the first seasons actually also where Chiefs got to beat Orlando Pirates three times in, in the same season. And then lockdown, lockdown came, COVID came. And then we had to play the games in a bubble with no fans. And that, that was the downfall of, of not getting enough results in order to secure the league. COVID-19 has uh, had its impact on the world, <laughs> on sports, uh, even yeah. on schools. I work in a school and it's unbelievable mm. what it's done to education as well. Um, mm. But you, you, you're looking at team management. Do you feel, because you touched on something a bit earlier, you said the national team did not prepare in its successful moments for the future. Yep. Yep. What would you be doing different in order to stop the slide, in this negative slide of Bafana, that we end up starting having a team that we were proud of, that like mm. when you played? I think you've got to have short, medium, and long-term plans in place. Um, obviously, short-term at this moment in time is qualifying for the African Cup of Nations, uh, which I think is next year. Uh, and then medium would be qualifying for 2022 World Cup. And long term, preparing for the next World Cup. Um, we have a group of young players that's coming through that you need to integrate into the national team. Uh, and even the current manager is not doing, you know. Um, I don't, you don't want to speak bad about fellow coaches, but you, you look at players like Itukune being called up, uh, players like Dean Furman, these are guys that's at the end of their careers and he needs to integrate the younger players, which he's not really doing. So it, it's one of those things where it, it's a catch-22. You know, he needs to get results, but he also needs to introduce young players because what's happening at Chiefs at the moment, for instance, they have to get rid of 15 players come end of the season and they haven't really brought any young players in. So now they have to come with a whole new squad and try and compete and win trophies, which is very, very difficult. So for me, it would be to, to, in, to, to have a, a plan in place, you know, over five to 10 year period where you can really go and qualify for big tournaments, but also win big tournaments again. And, and it was quite evident with uh, even the rugby, you know, uh, there's always going to be a cycle as to uh, which teams will dominate and, and which teams uh, will win trophies. And, South Africa, um, the, the 1995, 12 years later, 2007, uh, and then obviously again 2019. Uh, 12 years between every World Cup that we've won. I hope you get the opportunity to be involved in uh, fixing the national team. 
the South African population need to be proud of a, a, a Bafana mm. national team. I know what it does. I remember in 96, I was at university when uh, the national team won the African Nations Cup and then also went to France. Mm. I know how it made us feel 10 foot tall. So is it something that you're looking for in the future, Sean, to be national team manager? Oh, without a doubt. I think any South African that played the game and played the national team want to help and contribute. So I'm going to be no different. Uh, I think in the long, long run or in the future, I would like to be the national team manager and, and see if we can bring that glory days back. Well, to our listeners out there, you've, you've heard it here first. Uh, you nailing your colors to the mast. You want to be national team manager. If you're looking for a poor analyst, please, I'm available. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but listen, um, thinking about everyone you've played with, and you've played with some top, top, top stars, put together yeah. a Sean Bartlett 11 from goalkeeper up to yourself up front. Well, I think goalkeeper has got to be under Arendtse. Um, I think I've been with him from Cape Town Spurs to national team. Now, obviously, on opposing benches as coaches, but under Arendtse for me has been one of the top goalkeepers in South Africa and always will be. Uh, I think Mark Fish, again, I've been played with him in the national team. Um, Anna Charlton, uh, true friend and colleague. Uh, along with him, I'll go with somebody... Uh, I think Lucas Khadebe for me, again, another great export uh, of South African football. Legend in, in Leeds itself. Uh, on the right side, it's a little bit difficult, but um, I think somebody, it was a, a guy at uh, Charlton by the name of uh, Kishashev, Radestin Kishashev, uh, also a very good friend of mine. Uh, Contributed to one of my first two goals uh, for the club uh, against Man United. So that obviously has a good memory in mind as well. On the left side, David Niati played with him at Cape Town Spurs and the national team. I think the best uh, fullback this country has produced. In the middle, um, I think uh, Dr. Kamalo, again, having played against him in America and with the national team. Shoes Moshe, one of the most skillful players I've ever played with um, and against. And then maybe a player that many people wouldn't actually know played with me in New York Metro Stars would be Roberto Donadoni. Um, that's a part of his career under Carlos Alberto Pereira in, in America. We, we got to play together. So he was one of the guys, again, that was a true professional in everything he did. Uh, and how he approached the game. Abundance of knowledge, and I learned a lot from him as well. Uh, the hard man, I would probably go with somebody like Eric Tinkler. Um, you know, these holding midfielders or the aggressive players are always the most underrated players in the world. Uh, they do the dirty job, but they don't get the recognition. And uh, that's the unfortunate part about it. So, And I would go with Benny and myself up front. I think we had a great relationship uh, in the national team and even off the field. And we complemented each other as far as the attributes uh, were concerned. So I think that combination is the striker. Sean Bartlett, thank you um, for being so open with us today. It's not every day that I, an ordinary man, gets to speak to a football legend and a South African football legend. We're very, very grateful for your time. Mm. Thank you for your insight. 
I wish you all the success in your managerial career um, with Mr. Takama. I know you're in safe hands with Owen. He's been on our show before. Very knowledgeable coach. Uh, and your aspirations to be national team manager, we just wish you all the best. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time as well. Thanks. Now, just remember, if you like what you've listened to, pass a rating, pass a review. Get onto our Twitter page, OTW at underscore podcast. Get on our Instagram account. Get on our Facebook page. You are why we do this. Bringing the stars to you for you to listen to.